Welcome to the King's Table. Welcome to the King's Table, a podcast of Christ the Lord Church in Dayton, Ohio. The King's Table exists to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all. From the altar table to the dinner table, the conference table to the pool table, because Jesus is Lord over all. Welcome back again this week, guys. My name is Rusty, and I'm one of the elders here at Christ the Lord. I'm here joined with Pastor Jeff. Hey, guys. And Pastor Matt. What's up? This week, we're going to continue our discussion on the idea of kingdom. And so last week, we talked specifically about what does it mean to live under a king? Is this something that's just foreign to the way that we think about American life, our citizenship here? It's just so much stands in opposition to our expectations that are really ingrained into the fabric of American culture that when we encounter some of these commands and stuff in the Bible, it just really catches people off guard. Mm-hmm. So in an effort to continue to explore our name of Christ the Lord, we want to now this week look at what are the responsibilities of a citizen to the king. So kind of kick us off this week before I pass it to the guys. I want to look at just two passages very briefly. And again, this isn't meant to be a dissertation on this topic. There are much more qualified materials for you to to inquire into and enjoy. We just want to set up the discussion of what it's like to be a citizen. So to to kick us off with that from the scriptures, Ephesians 2, 18, 19, helpful. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, we are specifically aiming at believers. You're the citizens of this kingdom that mm-hmm. we talked about. But we are at the same time recognizing that there's one king over everybody. Yeah, And so, in a sense, you have citizens and you have rebels. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're necessarily citizens of another kingdom, uh, even though we might talk about the kingdom of darkness here and there. Because Philippians 3.18 helps set us up some more with that. It says, For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies, as rebels, of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with their minds that are set on earthly things. But us, our citizen... Ship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So I really think, particularly verse 21, just sets us up with that, that, that reality that there is a king. He is over everything. The ones that recognize him as true king are his citizens. He serves as king over them. And for those that do not submit to his rightful kingship, they are in a state of rebellion, mm-hmm. not simply being citizens of some other kingdom. So he has a power in his glorious body, his resurrection body, to subject all things to himself. And we know from other passages that everything's going to be placed under his feet, all that stuff that we talked about last week. So to kick us off this week, I just want to briefly discuss this idea of the king has a rightful demand on your life. Yeah. Yeah, There, there's no... There's, uh, we, we, we talked about that last week, that it's not just that he has the ability to rule, but he has the right to rule. Yeah. It, it's his. He's the creator, God, Lord, sovereign. It's his. He owns it. 
he sets the rules, he sets the stage, he sets the plan, he carries it out. It's his period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the challenge for us as as humans, uh, particularly in the West, that not not only do we not have that kind of sovereign, <clears throat> um, but we also have this uh, obsession with the false notion of autonomy mm-hmm. that I can be self-ruled without any rulership above me. Uh, now we would affirm that there is a measure of self-governance that is God-given, that is required of us, but but that is not a uh, autonomous self-governance. It's not a self-governance that has no hierarchy above it. Um, so that it's that's self-control just f- and, and personal dominion. Yes, yeah, but that personal dominion is under the dominion yes. of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. So the idea of autonomy. Uh, as we understand it in the United States, is 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 just garbage. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, freedom freedom as we understand it doesn't exist. Like it doesn't. There is nothing outside of God's sovereign plan. That's what it looks like for us underneath the rightful um, authority of the King. But this is, I mean, the glory of the gospel, right? That. That rebels, those ones who would be enemies, those Philippians 3, 18, 19, those ones who are headed towards destruction, who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, can actually be brought under the cross of the Christ, right? That yeah. rebels will be brought in freely under a good king. Yep. This is yep. a good king to be yeah, I was not free thing. under. Yeah, he's a good <laughs> yeah. king. We, we, we talked about that last time. It's uh, It seems... Um, binding it seems like something that we wouldn't want to be a part of when we are uh serving ourselves that the, their god is their belly it says in philippians 3 it means they they only serve themselves and it's an int- also the glory in their shame um we see that in our culture so much of course it's been like that for a long time but we're seeing it, i think at a all-time high now and that's what we were but now we are citizens of heaven yeah, it's a good reminder from end of Romans chapter 1 and 2. Yeah. So with that, uh, again, we wanted to keep, keep that brief. He has a rightful demand. It's just a, a recognition of last week. So then, what demands are those? And what are our responsibilities as a citizen to the king? So what we really want to try to aim at, I think, today is specifically what are our responsibilities literally to, to the king, to, to Jesus as king. And I'm setting that up against, for instance, just our general Christian responsibilities. All of our general Christian responsibilities, yes, are oriented towards the glory of God, right? So, I mean, there's that. But what what I'm talking about is a little bit more central or foundational, whatever word you want to use. It's a little beyond like Romans 12. We're supposed to love one another, all the one another's. Not just the duties that we have in order to live out Christendom. But specifically, like, what's our orientation and expectations to Jesus as our King? Hmm. So, with that in mind, that's that's what we're specifically kind of aiming at. So, there's going to be other things that we don't talk about that you'll find in the scriptures that are things that we are to do, like actual items. Paul says, "Do this," you know, mm-hmm. imperatives for us to do. But we want to keep it oriented to our recognition of our sovereign. So, first one up for us this week is loyalty. Citizens have a responsibility to be loyal to their King and to support his leadership. Uh, I think that this really kind of lands on our on our preamble there of he's got a rightful demand. And so we say, yes, your demand is rightful. 
Mm-hmm. We are loyal to you as king and, and to no other, right? It's an exclusive loyalty. Yeah, when, when we think about loyalty, you got to think, what is that? Like, what is it? What does it actually look like uh, in practice? Um, because you can say in your mind or in your heart, I'm loyal. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say, I, that is my king. But then if your life doesn't look that way, so what does it look like to walk like, that loyalty out? Like all the loyal Patriots fans who became Tampa Bay fans. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So when Saint Brady went over, uh, when, did you yeah, say Saint Brady? I did. <laughs> Patriots Saint Brady went uh, over. Now I wonder how many Jets fans are going to get. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, how many more Jets fans are going to get now? You uh, know? That doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't in that pagan camp anyway, like right. you guys. Uh, I think you see, um, well, I, first I would say the loyalty has to be tied to the idea that we don't have this freedom of our own. The scripture talks about you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Um, the language in Timothy is you are to please him who has chosen you to be a soldier mm-hmm. so you don't entangle yourself with the things of this world. Yeah, and, and I think our struggle is we want to be most loyal to ourselves. We do. We do. And when you think about that, what you're loyal to, a good test is just to look at what you sacrifice for. So, yeah. so in the same vein as loyalty to the king, so a soldier in the service of the king mm-hmm. who is willing to sacrifice himself for the cause of the king and the cause of the country. And for where the king's going. Yes. Like he's committed yep. to that. Yeah, wherever the king goes, he goes. Uh, or his standard goes, he follows. So if you observe your life, and I encourage you to do this and write, it, write these things down if you have to, you will see what you're loyal to by what you're willing to sacrifice for. So we see this uh, in Ohio, not in the months coming here because we're in the spring. Well, it's kind of spring. It's pretty cold today. We see this in Ohio in the wintertime, though, when believers wake up on Sunday morning and there's snow on the ground. (laughs) And uh, many people decide to stay home from church because it's too, air quotes, dangerous to, uh, to make it to church. But what's interesting is uh, Sunday morning loyalty when there's snow on the ground versus Monday morning loyalty mm-hmm. when there's snow on the ground when it's time to get to work. Yeah. Right. So what what you're willing to sacrifice for? Yeah. Uh, this, these kind of things go for you know our home groups as well. Hang on, before we go. Yeah. Uh, funny story. Um, back when we had uh, the uh, the the snow day that like, every other church in the city canceled. Yeah. And we. We didn't. That's a good story. (laughs) We had some visitors. Like one snow day all year. We had some some visitors who were not foreign to our church, uh, but going to another church. And when their church canceled, they thought to themselves, "Ah, Christ the Lord will still be open. We'll go there." And and lo and behold, we were there. There We were were there. And then I was thinking, so why do you go to that other church down the road? (laughs) I mean, if you knew, we would be. Why were you going there? Sure. I remember that day. I remember looking out on the parking lot and seeing people. We had already plowed, but it was snowing so hard and people trudging through the snow. It was a cool picture. It was a good picture. And of everybody died. Everybody That's died. True. Everybody died. They slid off the road. They all died. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's something we chuckle at, but it's a reality, right? I mean, I grew up in church and I remember my dad saying the same thing as a pastor, you know? You see people's loyalty to something like that versus what they'll sacrifice. They wouldn't think twice about treating their job that way. Mm-hmm. Right? They're not going to treat their job that way, but they will 
treat the church that way. They will treat ultimately the Lord that way. And, and the same thing goes for things like our home groups. How easy is it for us to push those things to the side because, you know, we got sick or whatever, air quotes again, um, or the things that Christians um, prioritize on Sunday mornings over gathering together like camping or kids' sports. I could mm-hmm. talk about that for a very, very long time. <laughs> all the emphasis on kids sports and your kid is never gonna they ain't ever gonna make it bro they ain't getting a scholarship <laughs> like maybe maybe one kid is gonna do that uh, at one time but it's not gonna happen right uh but you're letting your kids be catechized in that, uh, you're, and you're also showing them that those things are more important yeah, yeah. it's God worth is important that the, the king there is it's uh Worth being loyal right. over there, right? And before before you, people jump to this, like your ox is not in the ditch that much. It's not not, not that, that often. Much. No, <laughs> not that often. Well, there's you know what you know what I find. You know what I find the people that whose ox is always in the ditch, like it's in the ditch all the daggone time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Like yeah. so, it'll be it'll still be there like usual after church. You can get it done. Right. Yeah, and and, not, and and what I've seen too, just observation, a lot of those people's lives just suck. Well, like me, their following of the king right. just looks terrible. Right, and not to belabor the point or the analogy, but you should care for your ox. Like, you oh, should yeah. you should you fill should in the that. ditches, right? Like you you should organize your life. Is what I'm trying to say, <laughs> yes, in a way should. that things are always creeping do- up maybe on Maybe if you. your ox has always fallen in the ditch, we, maybe you should get another daggone ox. We have a good friend. Maybe he's just stupid. We have a good friend uh, named Ox. <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking about you, Ox. We love you. <laughs> that's, that's right. Or or cover up the ditch. Right. Exactly. Like, well, what is it that? Uh, no, that's the practical point, though. It's like there is no moving or filling in those ditches in these people's lives. Right. They won't do it. As, as they, because, and here's the the fundamental issue: there's a loyalty to something else. Yeah. Yep. That's the point. A something else other than King Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So those things aren't seen as important. And the same thing is true, again, this idea of sacrifice, what you will physically sacrifice for. Um, you know, are you willing to um, take good care of your body? Um, speaking in particular to men, to husbands and fathers, so that you can um, be strong and have longevity for a long time to care for your wife and for your children, for God's glory. I had a conversation with a guy in the gym not too long ago. Um, I was wearing my, my Humble Beast uh, sweatshirt, which always generates conversation and he came up and he was like i like that message and what are you in here training for man this guy was pre-jacked and i was like i'm in here training so i can be the best pastor husband father that i can be for a really long time and he's like huh man that doesn't make any sense to me but i I think i like that (laughs) i think i like that (laughs) Uh, so we ended up talking some more and shared the gospel with him so you should like that. Yeah, you should. You know what you spend your money on. This idea of loyalty. What do you, <laughs> when you're making this list, what do you spend your money on? When I, when I was in the gym today, I was just saw a guy sitting after he'd done his reps, looking at the mirror, like smiling and like shaping his face, <laughs> like in different ways. I know you can't see me, but I mean you, you guys can. But he's just like mm, trying to like it's like just, he's working on his Chad face. Yeah, I'm, exactly. So <laughs> apparently, so they, you, yeah. And, and to use that <laughs> analogy, again, are you are you Going and working out and physically sacrificing for to look good for your own vanity. Are you doing it for the? I go to work out so I learn learn how to choke people. This is true. Yeah, you should probably you gotta qualify these statements, Russ. (laughs) No, I don't. It's funner that way. Rusty does Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. So when you hear him say he's been wrestling with men or rolling with men, rolling around on the floor with men. Yeah, Yeah. that's what he means. Sweaty. What you spend your money on? 
when your political leanings uh, go against the scriptures, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we'll forget what the scriptures say. This this affects me, and so I'm going to roll with that. Um, yeah, loyalty. Uh, it, it's interesting when uh, Leonidas, who was the famous king of the Spartans, you know, the famous 300. The movie's pretty crappy, but you can read good books about that. When he was picking the 300 Spartans to go with him, there was actually a lot of pretty stellar, like friggin' beastly warriors that could have gone with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they could have taken a lot more than 300. He could have taken a lot more than 300. He could have taken some, actually, some more talented fighters. Um, and nobody knew why he was picking these specific men. And so later, the two qualifying things for these 300s was one, they had living heirs, they had sons. And also they had loyal, strong wives to the city, to the country. Mm. So he knew that those women of those men were willing to sacrifice their husbands and they would raise these sons up to also be loyal um, to to the nation. And we need to follow suit in that. It reminds me of this old hymn that we used to sing when I was a kid. Um, the chorus is like, on to victory, on to victory, cries our great commander on, we'll move at his command, we'll soon possess the land through loyalty. Loyalty, yes, loyalty to Christ. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a post mill hymn right there. That is. We should sing that. We should sing that. Russ, did you put that on the list? Uh, we're gonna loyalty, pause this podcast loyalty. real quick so I can uh, stick that in there right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Th- th- I think that's huge, I, particularly like leaning into loyalty because who does the work? Yeah. Him. Who powers it? Him. He, he does. What does he demand from us? Yeah. Just faithful loyalty. Faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Faithfulness to the king. Yeah. Yeah, faithfulness I, that he has empowered you with already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. So related to that, and I, I figured we we're going to spend a, a good bit of our front end time on these two is responsibility. So uh, this really, I think, could have been number one, but sure. these two kind of work together. Responsibility. Citizens have a responsibility to take ownership of their actions and decisions and to strive to be responsible and accountable members of society. So uh, this could be one or two. The, the point I think here is that God created us with agency and then commands us to be loyal. Can you define agency? So uh, agency, I would say, is in that line of self-dominion, uh, that self-sovereignty sphere, uh, sphere of, of Kuiper. Uh, we have uh, culpability. We have all of that. It still comes on us, right? Decision-making, responsibility. Decision-making, yep. yep. Not not the freedom that we typically think of, right? Because, <laughs> to your point earlier, um, you can choose, you have agency, but there is no option B. Right. right? <laughs> so choose A. Right. Every time. O- option Every time. B is death. Yeah. Well, it fits in with our passage. That's why I, I really like that. It's, there, There is no... No other option. If you are the opposite, then you are uh, one who walks as an enemy of the cross. Yeah. That's option B. Yeah. You didn't choose A, so you're an enemy of the cross. So responsibility, this dives into our um, dominion of self, our self, uh, not autonomy, but in that that picture of that sphere. Um, Any other thoughts on, on responsibility here? I think it ties to loyalty in that. Um, if you don't understand that you are not your own, but bought with a price and, and that now you belong to God and in being a part of God's people. Now that comes with responsibility. It's not that she saves you and says, no, willy nilly go upon your way. Matt's drinking whiskey straight out of the bottle over here. (laughs) (laughs) True beer. Give me some. Um, 
it's not willy nilly. I, I save you now. Go upon your merry way mm-hmm. and have. I'll see you in heaven. Yeah. Right? And and we're learning through Hebrews too that that's right. That's not that is not what we are called to. No. But that is that is a very pervasive idea in American evangelicalism that that God saved me and now I go about my life mm-hmm. and God go be better. Yeah. God. What's yes. See at the it's, end. It's behavior modification. <laughs> and God will see us at the end, and mm-hmm. He's going to pat us on the back and say, "Well done, come on in." Regardless, just because I went to church every now and then on Easter and on Christmas. And I listened to, uh, you know, some good country music that said things about God and well, Jesus. It's not like I was cheering for Satan, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, or, 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 yeah, or that I wasn't. I wasn't about this liberal agenda thingy yeah. or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I cried. Yeah. I mean, I did I not cast out demons in your name? <laughs> right. And what's so funny, man, is like as we've all been in ministry for a long time now, when we we preach what God requires, there are responsibilities to being a follower of Christ and how many times have you guys had people look at you that profess to be believers for a very long time look at you like you were crazy mm-hmm. and always then what comes is well you're being legalistic <laughs> every right? Sunday I, I think yeah and I think <laughs> I preach every, exactly every Sunday and then what, <laughs> what that goes how, back to how dare you call me to count for the covenant that I agreed to exactly right <laughs> yeah but my bosses are able to call me to certain responsibilities but well that benefits me because i'm making money and whatnot. but that's my personal life how dare you right yep. and their attitude towards the preacher is ultimately their attitude towards god and i think it goes back to this idea about loyalty and that you are not your own and what matt said in the beginning that in the end it's the king's way regardless of what you think mm-hmm. but what we've pushed in our culture is this personal relationship with jesus there's that horrible hymn Pietism. i come to the garden alone Right, <laughs> yeah, and the yeah, joy yeah. I uh, feel as I tarry there, whatever, none other has ever known. So now, when pastors come in and say, "Hey, this doesn't look like Jesus. This is not the gospel. This is not walking in, in righteousness," they say, how, "How dare you? Hang on, I'm in the garden alone. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. <laughs> how dare you question it? Exactly. Right. Oh man, one, one time early on when we were planting, I I met with this this couple, uh, and. I was questioning oh, there. That's bad. <laughs> that's not bad. It tastes good. No, that was bad. <laughs> it tastes like root beer. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> that's pretty cheap. It's pretty cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Come I on. I do have really bad allergies though, and like that's the, probably your allergies. Sudafed has like right. my tongue is numb. All right. So, so this couple Sorry. and I and, and Ru- I think Russ was there with me, but I, I was like questioning their love. For the church, I remember this right, <laughs> and 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 the how dare you question my love for Jesus? And I'm like, I didn't even say Jesus's name, <laughs> so I don't like know how we even got here. Right. That was that was a big leap. No, they pick they pulled the ripcord. Yeah. They did, <laughs> they did. Uh, well, w- responsibility is wrapped up in the word covenant, because in a covenant, there is responsibility. Like that, that's kind of. Uh, I mean, the goal of the covenant is how these parties work together. Yeah, it defines the relationship. It defines the relationship, which the definition or the boundary markers of the relationship is the responsibilities. And so the king uh, is the one who gets to set the responsibilities of the covenant. He sets the stipulations, the boundary markers. He, he says uh, what this is going to be about. He's going to say what keeps you in and what kicks you out. Yeah. And he gets to set that. And so when we think about responsibility with the Lord and citizens of his, of his kingdom, 
There, there is no other way. You're either in the covenant doing these things, or you're not in the covenant because you are doing other things. Yeah. So there is no option B. Yeah. There's option A. Yeah. If if you're to stay in the covenant. Yeah. And 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 again, uh, the stream, uh, the the current rather of the stream, is is pushing us in the well. You can set the terms the way you want them to. Yeah. Yeah. Which is contrary to our third point. Is a perfect segue into here. Is that how then do we keep the terms of the covenant by obedience? Yeah. yeah. Obedience. This is expressed loyalty. Yeah. Trust and obey. It's, There's no other way. It's it's to be happy in Jesus. <laughs> but to trust and obey. I think that we're, we're going to just have to let, let that be our tagline. Yeah. Um, which is appropriate. That's fine. It's true. <laughs> of course it's true. So loyalty by name only is just, yeah, I, I'm, I'm Englishman. Long live the king, right? How right. do you then express loyalty yeah. by obedience? By obedience. Citizens must obey the laws and regulations set forth by the king and his government. And so as we talked about last week, this comes from his law, which his law comes from his character. character. Yep. His kingship is held by nature of his character, yeah. as we've talked about even in our sermons, especially in Hebrews. And so the idea of obedience is that expressed, acted on loyalty. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, the, the, it's the knowing and the loving put together yeah. uh, is where the obedience comes from. And the thing I think that we're up against as a church right now in, in this kind of scenario or culture that we're in right now is that we've uh, we've just disconnected ourselves from God's law mm-hmm. um, meaning the the old the Old Testament largely and we just uh, we we've I think part of what's happened is we've relegated the law as that's the time when God wasn't very gracious um, which which practically I like that's not true. <laughs> no, no. Uh, like when you when you see when God gives the law, He gives the law at Mount Sinai, which is following what right after the Red Sea, which yeah. is following what uh, deliverance from Egypt. Yeah, that is the greatest picture. That's the, of, that's the salvation event of the Old Testament. It is. Yeah. It's the greatest picture we have outside of the crucifixion of Jesus on Golgotha, and. So the the grace of God was on incredible display right there in the context of giving the law. Yeah. So, but what we've said is well, that's God wasn't very gracious. He was he was kind of a meanie. Um, he was drawing lots of lines, which I think in our cultural moment that is very uh, feminized. That makes sense that we would reject the Old Testament where God is seemingly drawing all of these harder lines, and then now He's this kind of soft tender person that fits a more effeminate culture, a more feminized culture. Um, but in reality, the same God that was ruling in the Old Covenant is the one ruling now. He was gracious then, and he's gracious now. He was drawing lines then, and he's drawing lines now. Like, for example, I, I gave this in a recent teaching that in the Old Testament, if a, if a child dishonored his mom and dad, he was to be put to death. Well, they were like, well, that's the old covenant. Oh, my gosh. Well, Jesus affirms that. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> this nice, gentle, quiet Jesus says, if your kids dishonor mom and dad, they should be put to death. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that to the Pharisees. And he's, he's not only affirming the Old Testament, the law, 
but he's actually getting on the Pharisees for ignoring the Old Testament law and the people around him. So, so Jesus is not just affirming it, but he's going after the people who won't affirm it. And that's the culture we're in right now. So Jesus yeah. would be having that same conversation with us saying, why are you guys throwing away the law? Yeah. Like, why, why are you guys rejecting it? Such so, a legalist, Jesus. So Sunday morning, you should show up with your Bible and your rock, just in yes. case we need to stone a kid. <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite thing about the Gospels. It's like, and they turned to stone him. I'm exactly. Like, with, and they turned to stone with him. With what? Their concealed carry rock like no. Where yeah, there's probably lots of rocks laying around. We should ban the rocks. They picked up rocks. To throw ban them. all rocks. You know, you know, like when the Israelites were traveling around the wilderness, they just got piles of rocks. Probably had somebody's job was to make sure they had a plenty of rocks because they were always having to stone somebody. But you, you're right. We, we about, had we had our AR rocks right over here. You uh, you made the comment semi automatic rocks. Right. You made that a good comment about uh, a good point about the law being given after del- deliverance from Egypt, and on top of that, the icing on the cake then is how gracious and long suffering and patient God is with such a rebellious people. You know. Um, and the question is always reversed. You know, it it should never be oh, why why didn't God choose? You know, why would he why would he refuse Esau? Right? That that shouldn't be where we should start. We should always be like, why in the world would he even choose Jacob? Yeah. You know, why why would why would he consider either? Right. Exactly. Why why would God not rescue more people? And uh, and why Mark? would he rescue one? Why would he rescue anybody? Right. Why would he choose anybody? Yeah. Um, and that's where we have to start when it comes to this. Yeah. Yeah. It, we, if we're going to be in covenant, we have responsibility. We must obey. Well, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll keep my commandments. So not to make it too obvious, but that's w- w- where we're heading with our mission, right? No love, obey. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. It's easy sauce. All right. So let's get a little more granular into some of our specific duties. Uh, the next one uh, we would say is probably taxes, right? If you're a citizen and a king, yeah. there's taxes. Why? Why do they do that? Because they have a responsibility to pay taxes to the king's government. Why? To support the kingdom's infrastructure and services. Yeah. You know, as as uh, Christians, Jesus says, uh, and this is not just true of Christians, but uh, it's true of it's true of the world. But where your money is, there your heart is. So. If your money is not being put into supporting the king's mission and the king's plan and the king's service unto the people, if your money's not there, then your heart's not there. This and, explains and over taxation and why I'm such an increasingly percentaged patriot. <laughs> Forced it, patriotism. It, it also says why so many people are okay with a huge government that costs so much taxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because their heart is in the government can save me. Mm-hmm. So they're fine with giving the government 40% of their money. By the time you got property tax, sales tax, income tax, Medicare or Medicaid tax, Medicare tax, uh, or whatever it's called, Medicaid. Yeah, Medicaid. Uh, Social Security which we don't call those taxes, but they're taxes. And, uh, you know, by the time we give all of that, well, yeah, because our heart is entrusting the government to be our savior, mm-hmm. to fix all of our ills. Yep. So, yeah, that, that is where our heart is at. But, but God's people put their money where their hearts are as well. And, and, and kingdom work. ours is in kingdom work. Yeah. But, man, unlike anything else especially in American culture, money is 
the thing you can't touch, right? Jesus uh, talked how, as, how as much? pastors, right? As pastors, yeah, yeah as pastors. How yeah. much did Jesus talk about money when he was here? Well, it depends on whether that person reads their Bible. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Uh, but man, it is it is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, I think churches have done such a horrible job in teaching on this. You know, you got your uh, back when I was a kid. You, you know, if you were uh, flipping through the channels on the TV, which we never got a chance to do much because my parents were good parents. Um, <laughs> but you would get to a. Uh, what are you saying? You would get to the higher. Well, we only had like the rabbit ears, and so you get like to the higher channel, and it would be uh, the TBN, you know, and they're like all the people decked out in gold, you know, and <laughs> purple hair lady, the purple hair lady, yeah, um, she, yeah, Jan. It looked it looked like Chewbacca went to like get a perm and a a highlight. salt chewy. It's just yeah, it was so weird. But they're always on there and they're gold, you know, asking for money. So, so then churches began to like you know, shy away from talking about how God requires um, lordship over their money and how they should be giving their money to kingdom work. And even little things like, you know, I, I remember falling into this early in church planting. It's like, well, don't let the staff pastor talk about money. Let one of the lay elders talk about that. Mm-hmm. And th- what the problem with that is, is that it's in the scriptures. So if I get paid, right, for doing my work as a pastor, I should be able to preach that from the scriptures and we mm-hmm. should say thanks be to God for yeah. that. But so churches have done a horrible job in the realm of money and just left that alone because, well, we don't want to be like those TBN people or we don't want to be like everybody knows a story about somebody who embezzled money or whatever, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm ready to do like the everybody get out a $5 bill and wave it above your head for Jesus. Can you put that in the liturgy on Sunday? I can. Cool. Yeah, let's do that. Let's nice. do that. Awesome. Make it a $10 bill. Are we sticking with small bills? Nah. Bigger the <laughs> bill, the bigger the mansion in heaven. <laughs> Man, I, I wish people, I wish Christians would read Managing God's Money by Randy Alcorn. Hmm. And and uh, not that Dave Ramsey doesn't have a place, but uh, Randy Alcorn is a must read in the in the financial realm uh, because his his emphasis on again managing the lord's money right just the title think about that the king's all your treasures money yeah all your treasures time all of your resources is crucial and one of the things that he hits on in there uh that is is important is that your the primary place that you're to bring your money according to the scriptures is to the local storehouse to, Mm -hmm. to the church yeah uh and not only are you to bring that money there, but you should let the church help discern where else you invest mm-hmm. your money in kingdom work beyond that. I'm not saying that the church is telling you to invest in this stock or that stock over here, but are you going to give to this neighbor or to that neighbor over there? Uh, and, and, and how much? Mm-hmm. Because the, the church is, is equipped with the Word of God and the collective wisdom of its leaders and its people to help discern what's the best way to use these resources, not, and, and something not dictate, discern. <laughs> Less people intentionally mishear. They still will, brother. Uh, who cares? <laughs> but who cares? good distinction. D i s c e r n does not right. have a t in it. Right. Rusty's after our money. 
I use words, and each one matters. No, oh, so. not anymore. <laughs> this is true. So, and just like, we've even lost sight of it. Well, it's it's all about grace giving. Okay, if by grace giving you mean at least 10%. Because cause Jesus, Jesus is not abolishing these Old Testament standards. No, he's not. He's no. going further than them. So back to the back to the uh, the child who dishonors mom and dad, and we get to the New Testament. Mm. Well, why would he do that and then throw out the ten percent? Right. No. Yeah. He's 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 taking it further. This this has bigger implications than what you probably previously thought. Yeah. Yeah. All of. All of Christ for all of life. Yes. All of your life for all of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it's not just the, the financial aspect. We can jump in and out of these as we go forward. Um, it's, it, it, we're not just harping on money and saying that money is the most important because the very next one that we would bring up is defense. In times of war or conflict, citizens may be called upon to defend the kingdom and its interests. So if you're worried about giving not all of your money, but an increased portion of your money, well, on this other hand, he demands your life. So... Yeah, <laughs> come, you as you've said often, Russ. The call of the gospel is come and die. Mm-hmm. That's what it is, right? And loyal citizens to the king, loyal soldiers in his army, will be willing to lay their life down in a min, in a minute's notice. Yeah, um, yeah. It reminds me of uh, you know uh, we all watched Last Samurai, Samurai recently, uh-huh. and when the emperor's like, "I would gladly give my life at your word, emperor," what? like like that kind of loyalty. You know, to the king, um, that's that's what God requires of us. Mm. Right? It it often slips our mind that He said, uh, "Unless you take up your cross, deny yourself, you can't follow Me." You can't, right? Nope. And what what is crazy in God's economy? So speaking of, again of finances and cost, is that when you give your life and death, you find it. You find it. You find it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen on Wall Street. No. That doesn't happen at Walmart or Target or wherever else you spend your money. Like that's not what happens there. It happens in the church. It happens in God's economy and God's kingdom. Yeah, you know, I would remind us on this on the defense side that the the church is not to be predominantly in the defense posture, though. I agree. Right. Hmm. So you're gonna. There are defending things that you must do. But when Christ says that the gates of Hades shall not prevail, he he's he doesn't he's not he what he does not say, but what I think we hear is the attack of Hades will not prevail. Mm-hmm. The the offense of Hades will not prevail. The offense right. of Hades. Right. But yeah, he's what he's saying is the defensive mechanisms of hell will right. not stand. Won't stand will not stand. Well, the they advance. won't stand what? They, do, they won't stand against the wind? Mm-hmm. No, they won't stand against the onslaught of God's advancing kingdom. Yeah, the crumble. Yeah. yeah. My coach has said since I started that uh, the best defense will always eventually fall to a persistent offense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. It can be a superior defense, but if there's a persistent offense against it, it will eventually fall. Yeah, yeah and I think for for many uh, decades, I don't know how far back I would go, but for many decades, the church has just played defense. We've been on our heels. We've been pushed into the corner. I, I take a brief foray onto offense every once a week on Sunday. <laughs> right. And then retreat back. Yes. Yeah. So uh, no wonder we've we've lost all this ground. Yeah. 
we've lost ground in the gender identity conversation. We've lost ground with things like no fault divorce. We've we've lost ground with all that mess. And just I, I because we we've not protected the furthest reaches of of the kingdom. And we've not advanced the kingdom. We've not sought to catechize the culture. Uh, but, so, so instead, the church has been catechized. Yeah, we'll get to this in another episode a little bit more, but that's that's where we lean into theological and cultural maximalism. Yeah. Right, and one of our distinctives is we, we broaden those things. Yes. I got a question for you guys. Why do you think, I mean, you've already mentioned some of these things, and maybe it's just, you know, uh, theological, cultural minimalism versus maximalism, ultimately. But can you think of some specific reasons why the church has settled into more of a defensive posture versus the offensive posture, like some contributing things to that? I think because the church is broadly um, feminized okay. uh, and largely impotent. So here, here's why. I, I, th- I think what happened is, you know, we, we went to war, all of our men went to war in, in World War One, World War Two. they come back, the Life after that changes. Things get a little bit easier in some of the industrial revolution things, and uh, and and life generally it gets peaceful. Mm-hmm. And when life gets peaceful, men get lulled to sleep. Yeah. And when men get lulled to sleep, and they don't go daily unto war, mm. then the wives step in and take their place. What's the saying? Hard times make strong men. Yeah. yeah. Soft times make weak men. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and particularly when you then have, so World War One and Two were, were awful, but like understandable wars and everybody got behind them. Right. Then Vietnam comes along and mm-hmm. men go off to war, but no one's happy about it. No one's supporting the, the effort, the troops, right. anything. No honor. Yeah. There's no honor involved, no glory to be found. Yeah. Whether the war was good or not, sure. the men were our men. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, uh, we did have another war, but it it didn't have the same effect. Yeah. Yeah. It retarded it in the one sense. Yeah. So I think the idea of, like, going daily unto war, fighting, drawing lines, holding the right dividing lines, and pushing back darkness, we just just let that go. Yeah, that's good. We let that go. So how do we – what are a few ways we can fix that? I think one of the practical ways is just help our men understand that we're at war. Mm. And that hasn't stopped and it doesn't matter. Like and and that's not here's the, that's not dependent on whether or not the our social ills of our culture are grotesque. Mm. I think things like the trans movement is helping wake some people up. This is true. To to realize wow. Right. But but like the abortion thing. Mm. That that's that's just as evil. I mean, it's just as it's just as grotesque, and that's been happening for a longer time than the than the trans movement. Yeah. But but my point is is it can't be that we're at war just because something um, is outside of our general s- sensibilities um, and things. But but realizing, and I think that's that's where God's law comes into place, because then we should see anything that's outside of God's law as being grotesque and evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It shouldn't take the mutilization of, of or the yeah the mutilizing uh, mutilation. Uh, mutilation mutilation. There we go. Of 
of of words of words <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> it shouldn't take that to wake us up unto war yeah it should take we know god's word and there is a plethora of evil around us to recognize that. Yeah, to push that metaphor some, it's not just realizing that you're in a war, but understanding your weapon. So I think if you had familiarity with your weapon, you would be more in a state of mind of war or at least defense. You know, that, that hey, I need to know this. And so we have people who don't read their Bibles. They don't have yeah. their sword, right? They're not familiar with it. They don't know how to use it. They end up cutting themselves with it or hoarding other people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with it yeah. more well, than actually doing any good. And the, the sword is an offensive weapon. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it can be used to defend you, but that's not the main point of a sword. Yeah, we're not talking about like a... That's the shield. We're not talking about a French rapier where you're fencing and stuff like that. Like no. the, the sword that he's talking about is only offense. This was Roman yeah. culture. Yeah. yeah. They the were sword. conquering lands with their swords yeah. and protecting their bodies with their shields. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can interchange both of those weapons. Yeah, but that was the that was the purpose. But in my experience, any time that I am, am spending time developing with, familiarizing myself, whatever, with any of my offensive tools, whether that's my my firearm, whether that's my attack options in jujitsu, whether that was my on blocking an offense, like on offensive line, yeah, when I'm just catching someone who's coming against me i have offensive maneuvers against them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anytime i'm familiarizing myself with that i'm more in a state of mind of recognizing what's happening yeah what's happening in your readiness you train you train you train right mm -hmm. so it becomes second nature yeah you know i was talking to a, a police officer recently and he was saying the same thing he's like man it's just training we just do it and do it and do it and do it and we're familiar with our weapons it's gonna become second nature well the people who challenge them and say why are you spending all the time training it's not like what it's actually gonna happen right is what they're thinking until it does but you never hear that line of reasoning from people who train right or who actually do stuff <laughs> yeah and i would say um I, I agree with what you said matt about the trans movement kind of waking people up but i think we've also seen uh our culture only wakes up when the big bad crazy stuff happens. Yeah, yeah, that's so my point. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just pushing that further. That so when clown world starts happening, as it's been called, then all of a sudden we wake up. <laughs> but we but we didn't realize the slow erosion. Yeah, right? the slow erosion of in pulpits <laughs> now we're affirming transgenderism. We're we're saying um, we're affirming you know our our gay Christian brothers and sisters, whatever that is. Um, but we don't want to talk about uh, that we've let women preachers in the pulpits. We don't want to talk about uh, porn addiction running rampant in the congregation with both men and women. Mm -hmm. We don't want to talk about divorce. We don't want to talk about every little tiny bit of, of ground that has been lost and eroded away. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, something big and bad comes up. And we're like, how do we get here? It's because we've been sitting around getting fat and sassy. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. So... Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite songs from a secular band ends this way. They say, we need a story to believe in. We need a hero to prevail. We need a challenge that we can overcome. But it takes a tragedy to make us one. It takes these tragedies to draw us together. We, I experienced that for the first time in 9-11. Like this is big tr thing that drew us all together. And all of a sudden things are new. Now we have a common story. Now we have a common hero. Now we have a common yeah. challenge. And now we're all one. And then you see it disintegrate again. Yeah. 
but it takes you know for the church we run into that same thing like what kind of what kind of grotesque tragedy is it going to take for us to actually yeah. start the offense yeah or to realize that we've been on the offense all the time that's what you you guys have heard me say this a lot recently like just as leaders at christ the lord that we we've got to help um particularly our men uh, but not just them but particularly our men realize that they're at war that they have a common enemy and we're called to fight mm-hmm. and but I, I if if we take our eyes off of that then then our men they're going to fight yeah it's just what are they going to fight and who are they going to fight for mm-hmm. yeah. i was going to say the four pieces important cuz every time you're fighting you're reminded of the king standard the loyalty mm-hmm. yeah so same same thing with our kids i uh, recently uh, in a in a parenting class talked about how the goal is not just teaching our kids 2 plus 2 equals 4 but is to teach them how uh, teach them to fight against all of the arguments against God. Mm-hmm. And that's not, and I think a lot of us think, well, I, well I'm not going to send my kids to study apologetics, and, and we kind of relegate that to a, a few really smart people. But the call is that they would be able to push back against the world's unbelief concerning who God is. Yeah. And that's the call. That, that's So even with our kids, is to teach them how to defend and how to push the line back. That's that's with our kids. Yep. But we've said for generations now, just go learn some education so that you can get a job and make some money. Because that's your only hope in life and death. It is. <laughs> the American dream is your only hope in life and death. Go get some money, have a house. Yeah. Get as so, much money as you can so you can retire as early as you can. <laughs> the, now, now, the exciting thing is that as um, as if this is what God's called us to, then all the resources of heaven are ours to do that, and he will win. Mm-hmm. So, Which takes us to participation. Citizens have a responsibility to participate in the political process by voting, engaging with their elected representatives, participating in the movement of government, right? So for us, that shifts a little bit into our theocracy here, right? Under uh, one Christ, we don't have an elected representative. We have a high priest mm-hmm. who's our representative mm-hmm. before God the Father, right? We engage with him. Uh, we participate in the political process by upholding the government, <laughs> upholding this rightful kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, the Lord's, you know, participation in God's kingdom, though, I think we got to clarify that it is, it's about more than just doing what you're told. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about seeking out what you're to be told. Like, it's an active, like, submission here is. So in our government, we have essentially at this point, two political agendas, and we push that agenda. Right. Mm-hmm. As opposed to what you're describing, there's one agenda and we need to seek out that agenda. We need to seek that out. Yeah. We need to know it. We need to know our we need to know what our party's agenda is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he's given us lots of pages to go read that. Uh, and he's given us the Holy Spirit to understand it. Mm-hmm. And then and then I think on a very another practical note, if you're going to participate in something, you have to avail your resources to it. Yeah. And and like and I think about this very, very practically in the church life, that someone who, usually the people who are growing the most 
uh, meaning becoming more and more like Christ and establishing the Lord's kingdom in their little corner of the earth, are the ones who avail themselves the most to the graces of God through the church. Very practically speaking, they're the ones that give the most time to listening to a sermon or prepping ahead of time or to hanging around where the pastors are at or the one who is uh, asking good questions based on what was taught uh, that they're where they're trying to apply those things. They're, they're the ones that are making the most money available to the to the church where they're just being generous and where again where they're where that, their money is, there, their hearts that, are as well. That sounds like investment. Yes, Russ, why don't you tell us about your idea on investment? I don't, it's, it's not an idea, it's just a general concept. If you invest in it, you get your return. <laughs> Surprise. No, no, you talk about uh, what's what's the return you're going to get. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you say that all the time. Oh, well, particularly off that parable. Yeah. Yes. So the parable of Jesus is uh, sowing and reaping is not just you'll reap what you sow, but essentially to the degree that you propagate into your field. Yeah. So we have people that, you know, sow 10% and get 10% back, 30% get 30% back, 50, 70. Our hope is that we would reap 100% of yeah. the blessings of the Lord in his kingdom. You do that by investing. Yeah, 100% into the kingdom. It's a, not an issue of any monetary amount or any other resource, but it's an aspect of full faithfulness into investing in God's kingdom, and yeah. you get what you put in. Yeah. yeah, and I think to put an exclamation point on that is the Lord expects you. So it's a moral issue mm-hmm. as to whether or not you get the biggest return you can possibly get. It's not an option. That's my point. No, the one who buried his talent was called Wicked. Yes. Yeah, and cast <laughs> it out. It was taken from him. And he buried it for seemingly good reasons. He mm-hmm. didn't want to lose anything. Yeah. But what he lost was the return on the investment. He got nothing back. He just had what he started with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the Lord expected him to in- invest and get the biggest return possible. But then when farmer pastor Rusty comes along and says, hey— did you know you can get like a 3% better yield this year if you make this one change in your life? But how dare you tell me how to how to touch my dirt? <laughs> this is my dirt. Did totally, somebody, did totally, you're overbearing. Did somebody say that to you? Totally Man, my dirt. Uh, yeah, because I, I, I outside my door, it says Farmer Pastor Rusty. <laughs> <laughs> so Farmer Pastor Woodworker <laughs> Coffee Connoisseur. I have a lot of monikers. <laughs> so what are some other so practical examples of that? Of investment and for for Christ the Lord in particular, I, I I'm thinking of one right now on the top of my head. But well, for me, like part of my even job is to look out for this pattern in our church is that we have this pattern of study. Like, hey, you want to learn how to understand the scriptures, how to best involve yourself in community life here, and how to follow our vision and mission. Well, we center that around the Word and the preached Word. Yeah. And so, listen to the sermon. That's the high point of every week. But in order to do that, it actually starts on Tuesday or Wednesday. It depends on when your group is, right? So you, at the end of your home group, you read the passage for the next week together. You talk about it. Then you go home. You study it. That's that's your job. You study it. Then on Thursday, if I'm not preaching, the other pastors will, will release looking ahead. Sometimes. So, well, yeah, I'm, I'm off that. We'll release looking ahead to help you understand where we're heading with the passage and give you some thoughts on how to move through there. 
You continue personal study. You meet with your DNA group. You talk about it. You reflect on the previous week. Then Sunday comes. The sermon hits. Then you do your personal reflection of the sermon. You look at looking ahead again from last week and see if you can answer those and understand the passage. Then you get to your home group and you do reflection together and you close the book on that particular passage. That's huge resourcing compared to your – what would be the flip side? I don't open my Bible all week. I probably don't have any other kind of devotional all week, an extra biblical devotion from a devotional book or something. I don't do any of that. I show up on Sunday. I listen to most of the sermon, but then the birds come and take the word mm-hmm. out as we hear from that other parable. And then I go home and I don't think about it anymore. Yeah. That is not how you, you're not going to get any return. Why would you expect anything from that? And if that's what you're letting your kids do, they're not getting anything from that. If that's what you do, you're not getting anything from that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you didn't uh, get a chance to write all that down, what Pastor Rusty just described, described to you was basically our rhythms. It is our rhythms. Christ the Lord. This is what we do every single week. And that's not talking about cold pizza where we continue to develop these things. That's not talking about, you know, even more of your DNA or other conversations that you have with people. Like there's so many opportunities. Yeah. And, so and for and you we're to participate. Just, yeah. Just, and, and honestly, you don't have to do even all of that. Like we, it's our job to resource you. Make use of these things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you you have to avail yourself to those. You have to avail your resources you to, to those resources. In 1 Corinthians, what, 2, 3, you have to put seed in the ground. Yeah. 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 Someone has to do that. We, which is, like, what we've described here is our culture, like, mm-hmm. that, uh, which is citizens have a responsibility to preserve and promote the cultural heritage of their kingdom. And, and each church, just like each household, is going to have a culture. And, and that's a good thing. And that culture can change and such over time. But culture, the way I define culture, is like largely a, uh, the relationship between the laws and their application. So it's what that looks like in real time. Yeah. What's that look like? If you were to paint a picture of a people, what you're going to paint is really the covenant in action the laws of the covenant, and how the people work those out. Because there is some uh, like personal application of that. It's, it might look a little bit different for this family versus this family, and a little bit different in this household versus this household or this church and this church. Yeah, the definition I have for that is embodied values. Yeah, yeah, good. yeah, yeah. And that which is, which is the, their values put into practice. Mm-hmm. So the laws put into practice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so if you're going to be a part of a particular culture, um, uh, then you want, you're going to uphold the cultural uh, values of, of yep. that people. Yeah, because the nice thing about that is that you can so easily work that backwards. If you want to know what your values are, you just look at what's being embodied. Yeah. So we can say as a church that these are distinctives. We can say as a church that these are our values. But if we're not seeing that in ourselves or any of our people, then that's not actually what we value. Yeah. Same but, thing is true for our nation, but same thing is true for your for your home, for your for your school, for whatever else you're involved in. So part of that culture is community. Citizens have a responsibility to contribute to the well-being of their community and promote harmony 
uh, amongst those people. Culture has to be manifested in community because there is no true culture of one. <laughs> right. So the community has to be a component of it, and but and that sounds silly, but like that, that's the whole. I'm I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, or I'm I don't I'm not into the church uh, and religion like that. I, it's <laughs> me and Jesus type thing. And sure it is. And you you hear those things, but the one that actually then prominently runs through it is even inside the church. Well, it's just me and Jesus. Yeah, and I come to this church. No, you're part of the body of the church, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, this citizens have a responsibility to contribute to the well-being of the community. You have to be there. Like that's the thing. Um, what <laughs> you, you do? To, you have to be there. You uh, can't do this online. No, 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 <laughs> not no. You cannot. Even when when the government tells you that you can, that's not true. Um, <laughs> oh man, you have to be there, and the you can't join us online. You you can. <laughs> You can't join us online sorry, live. You sorry, can don't, to don't give me started. I, I just saw recently a, a, a what I thought was a, a decent Presbyterian church nearby that I they, they have an option to join us in our online service, and I'm like, what are you thinking? I just I just don't get it. It's not possible. Yeah, did I open this podcast to thank you for joining us? Because I guess you're not really joining us. You started <laughs> first by saying, "Hey guys, it's good to see you again." It's good to see you. And I said, "They can't." They can't, can't see, see them because I long to see you. I, <laughs> hey guys, we sure. long to see you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna peg you again. Weird. <laughs> yeah, community and this one I don't want to belabor too much. Well, I'm gonna pause you real quick. So you, uh, we understand what you're meaning by by the uh, join us online thing. Explain what you mean though. You you've got to be present with people, right? You're present. You got to be uh, to to use the popular vernacular. You got to be incarnational, mm-hmm. and you just you can't do that. Online, I mean, there. Not that there's no value. Sure. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing right this second. Right. Uh, and in a sense, you're joining us, but you're not joining us in like communal physical participation. Like right. you're joining us by listening to the things we're saying. But, but that's that's different than a participation. That's different than what physically. the New Testament says, <laughs> which in every time that we're in community, building up is happening. Right. And practically, that is different than gathering with God's people on the Lord's Day. Yeah, and, and if you look word, at the and you look at the sacraments, if you watch Acts as the church is forming, and when every when they talk about them gathering, we talk about them participating. There is a participation, particularly in the breaking of bread. Yes. Well, you can't break bread together in different places. Yeah. They're together. <laughs> right. Words again, man. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Well, to kind of push this on the home uh, stretch here. The community leads into a specific type of community because our culture certainly would promote and affirm community. They have tribes, they have their people, they have their chosen families, all these other things. Um, it's not that kind of community. We're after a unity, a unified com- community, and specifically around Christ as our king. Yeah. So unity, citizens have a responsibility to promote unity and harmony among different communities within the kingdom and avoid any actions that may cause division or conflict. We're going to qualify our version of those things, but theoretically, I mean, technically we agree with all that, right? There's now no longer, you know, Jew or Gentile, Scythian, slave, free, all these things. There's one in Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So these disparate things come together in unity. The actions that we're trying to avoid that cause division and conflict are personal offenses within, Uh 
but as we've discussed, <laughs> there's a lot of things that may be perceived as divisive or in conflict. Uh, it depends on what we're fighting for, but you guys have Ephesians 4, 3. I think that this is helpful in, in defining that. Yeah, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This uh, emphasizing eager to maintain. And eager to maintain what is already there. It's the unity of the Spirit that has brought us together mm-hmm. um, that we're supposed to continue to hold fast to and to promote and, like and to guard. The high priestly prayer, John 17. Mm. We pray that they would be one, just as you and I are one. Yeah, yeah. On the same mind as we work towards one goal of glorifying our King. And we have this in our membership covenant here at CTL. Um, I went and grabbed it and uh, put it on the notes here. Encouraging in our conversations. We, we want to be encouraging in our conversations to avoid all divisiveness, gossip, and unrighteous anger. And to abstain from all unbiblical practices and habits which would bring unwarranted harm to the body or jeopardize our own or another's faith. And so when I think about unity, I think about um, guarding our tongues, um, staying far away from gossip and slander yeah. of each other, um, loving each other in community enough to go to one another and walk out Matthew 18 if need be, mm-hmm. loving each other enough and knowing the scripture well enough to know when you don't have to go <laughs> walk out Matthew 18 because you went before the Lord and the Lord said, what you're frustrated about is really stupid. Mm-hmm. What is, what? Which is, I'm sorry, that's your word, Matt, stupid. <laughs> you can use is, it. It's, it's a good word. It's really dumb. It communicates. <laughs> it's it, foolish. It communicates what's to your, stupid people. It does. What What you're upset about is foolish, right? Um, that's not something to be upset Just about. let it go. Let it go. Love covers over. Love covers a multitude of sins. and Don't waste their time. And if it is a problem, then you need to make sure that you have um, a biblical um, standard for that. And then you can go and love hoping to gain your brother. And so that's, we have to strive for that. But we, we live in a culture that uh, is such a preference-driven culture that, I mean, you got the extreme goofy stories, you know, like when I was growing up where people had church splits over the color of the carpet, <laughs> which was yeah. not the real problem, by the way, you know, but that Never. was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, and or things like we've gone through here, Christ the Lord. I've seen those carpets, and I, I can understand where those people are coming from. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> well, legitimate arguments. It's because usually the dumb people went out. You got like this really dark red. Like who chose that? It's the color of Jesus's blood. (laughs) Of of course. Church, classic church colors. Jesus's blood, the blue royal color, because his robes were blue and white when he was here on earth. Okay. Explain the orange. Is it? The burnt orange? Oh, I don't know. The fires of hell? I don't know. (laughs) I I could get behind that. I feel like this is how you find Orthodox churches. Sinners in the hands of an angry guy. I think like like Edwards could get behind that. Yeah. Oh, go Edwards. That's why when people complain about the color that I chose for our background for this particular series and how bright and onerous <laughs> it is, I'm just like, we could have orange carpet, so. Yeah, that's not a good argument, Russ. <laughs> it's, an, it's an argument. I got a migraine from looking at that on Sunday. <laughs> look at your Bible. You, I was trying even... to look at the notes. Because <laughs> if I don't look at the notes, I get up on... Sunday in the communion devotion and read half written notes like I did a couple weeks ago. It made no sense. <laughs> you had someone else to blame for that. I did. Yeah, I did. I won't say this person's name. Oh, it was my wife's fault. <laughs> no, actually, it wasn't her fault. It was my fault for copying and pasting her notes to my phone that weren't finished because she was handling one of our children. Isn't that plagiarizing? Probably. <laughs> I mean, that's Add what it. I've been told. Add it to the list, baby. Add it to the list. 
Yeah. But, but, but then that means both of you plagiarized me. This is true. This is true. So this is my <laughs> this is my official um, plea and request that you change that background. I, I will. Okay. Not. It's like, <laughs> you know how bulls <laughs> supposed to see, like get angry when they see red? When I see that, I get like triggered. It's like in those old CIA movies where they see a certain color or hear a certain word and they go berserk. I'm about to do that. It's because I don't love you that I do that. Probably right. so. Anyway, it gives me a headache every You Sunday. specifically. Wow. Right, read read like your favorite Bonhoeffer quote. My mean oh my no my favorite Bonhoeffer quote. Well, this is, is the, one of them. This is one of them. Okay, talking about unity as we as we think about what unity is supposed to look like, uh, Bonhoeffer says in a much larger quote. This is just a piece of it. He says, "Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though they're." personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Yeah. And that is that's what that's what happens. That's what we're we're joking about, color of carpet and church splits and all that kind of stuff. But that's ultimately the root of what's going on there is that people yeah. have their idea of what a Christian community should look like and if that doesn't meet what they think, uh, then then they're out. Yeah. You know? it, it reminds me of um the uh, something my wife was reading, I can't remember if it was Rebecca Merkel or Rachel Jankovic, where she was talking about uh, decorating and making food for the husband that she wishes he had versus right. the one she actually had. Right. And how I think that has application here. If you want unity with the people, you you can't love a people that you wish you had. Yeah. You've got to love the people that are right in front of you. With all their wrinkles and all their warts, yeah, you 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 can't love the people you wish God would have given you. You got to love the people God has given you. Yeah, that's good. That's so. good. Man. And eager and striving to maintain that unity. So if it's if it's not a big deal, let it go. Uh, if it if it is a big deal and if it is something that needs to be dealt with from the scriptures, then then don't let it go. By yeah. all means, go because that eventually will cause. Uh, a breach in the unity and the mm -hmm. uh, the community. But you better be sure. But you better be darn sure. Yeah. You better be darn sure this from the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. And the way to that is next up education. The citizens have a responsibility to educate themselves and their children to become responsible members of society. And so for us, this is definitely one of those responsibilities to the Lord and that everything that is, is from him. And so we're to raise our children in the fear and understanding and instruction of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, Deuteronomy 6, I'm supposed to teach them as we walk down the road and, and as we arise and as we sit at the table. And um, just want to remind us that the responsibility for education is the household. It, it is mom and dad's responsibility to educate children to be citizens in the king's kingdom. It's not, it's not the government's responsibility to do that. The government should be busy punishing uh evil and rewarding good uh and leave the education of the people up to the homes that's what should be happening but you're educating the orientation it's is towards the uh the king's uh edicts the king's plans the king's laws the king's character so it's not just two plus two equals four but two plus two equals four because the king has said so and because the king makes sense, and because the king has 
made it such that that is the case. And we can revel and rest knowing that it will always be for. Mm. Um, God set it up that way. We can rest in the idea of gravity. I don't worry. I have to go home and worry about my cows floating in the sky over top of my neighbor's house. <laughs> Why? Because th- they're going to be in the field. Well, they might be running into your neighbor's house, but not floating in the sky. <laughs> well, then there's electricity. So thank God the electricity shocks <laughs> and th- it'll zap their nose. This is true. <laughs> Have you ever watched a 1,400-pound cow get zapped in the nose and fly back like five feet? It's pretty funny. Thank God. That's good, man. So there's a lot that can be said in education, and I can guarantee you we're going to tackle that in the future. Um, But as far as our responsibility to the king, uh, it's to know him. It's to know his ways and know his law. And and that falls on us first, not the church. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's true. Uh, next up, I would say it would be justice, and this is how we live, again, underneath of that law. We talked about his responsibility last week in this way, and for us, it's to respect that. So citizens have a responsibility to respect and uphold the justice system of the kingdom and report any criminal activities to the authorities. Um, I don't really want people running to my office telling me all the sins that people did, so it's not necessarily that kind of criminal activity. But it's a respect of, uh, as you talked about earlier, Matthew 18, what what breaches the line of covenant faithfulness? What yeah. what does love cover over? Where am I the one taking offense versus it actually being against the law? Yeah. These type of things. But respecting and upholding God's commands, God's law, his justice, his character. Yeah. And clarify, when we talk about justice, we're talking about biblical justice, not uh, the social justice as we're seeing right now in our culture everywhere yeah that stuff yeah that stuff <laughs> a note on that i would just say only biblical justice um is going to help anyone yeah man that's that's the only thing that's going to help so the the woke social justice movement in the church that we're seeing now it's it's elevating and even separating it's trying to do this it's trying to elevate and separate the physical life of Jesus, meaning like the things that he did physically when he was on this earth, healing people, feeding people, helping them. And they're trying to separate that or elevate that above um, his main objective of coming to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. Which when he Which, was here, he said, these things that I'm doing are an example of what I'm doing in the heart exactly, and the soul. Exactly. In the spiritual realm. Yes. Which, he, is, which is interesting because uh, as we're studying in the book of Hebrews... Jesus, uh, the old covenant is a shadow of the heavenly covenant. Mm -hmm. And if we're just going to settle for the covenant that cannot change the heart, like the old covenant, which that's what woke ideology is doing. It's just, let's change these external things, uh, without dealing with the actual heart that's going on. We're just, we're, resorting to something that again that can't help us that can't change anything Mm -hmm. and it it looks like a bunch of legalism yeah which is all it is no exactly right yeah no woke woke churches these days they have their own version of the thomas jefferson bible where they they like all the good nice things that jesus did all the nice things he said but they pick and choose the things he said as well (laughs) just the nice stuff (laughs) but they separate that from his is really to separate it from his deity and ultimately what he came to do as thomas jefferson would do yeah and finally to wrap us up it would be 
innovation. Citizens have a responsibility to support innovation and progress and to contribute to the development of new technologies and ideas that can benefit the kingdom and its people. So we're taking culture and expanding it into the marketplace, which then, as we saw last week, then goes back to provision, which goes back to culture, and it's that cycle that flows. And so this is where we play that out. Uh, For us, though, what we're talking about is not some simple hey, let's be number one, let's be the best at science and math and <laughs> all these mm-hmm. things. What we're talking about is taking the gifts of the king, as we talked about earlier, putting them in the ground and making more. And so yeah. dominion and spread across the face of the earth. As, and specifically what we're spreading is God's glory. Yeah. Right? And it's not a zero-sum game. God gives us glory. It makes more glory. And there's glory to be shared by us and glory to be given to him. Yeah. And, and the, the beautiful thing about us, God, God has made us in his image— uh, to create, to, to, to take our words, to take our actions, to plant them in the ground, to plant them in our, the souls of our kids, to, to plant them in the, the hearts of our coworkers, uh, to, to plant rich ideas into our spouses and then to, that, that come from God's word and then to water those things and to help them grow, uh, to, to take dirt like, like for me, and and Russ, you were the one that actually drew my attention to this, but but how amazing it is for me. I I can take my creativity, which involves like right now grass mm-hmm. on my farm, and and then I can take that, and the Lord and His creativity takes these cows that eat grass and somehow it turns into beef. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like that's amazing. Like, I, that's I mean, I don't the know. actual Midas touch right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's alchemy. I, I don't like. I don't know about you, but I don't really like eating grass. Um, but I like eating beef. And and so you don't like, like eating the food that your food eats. I, I don't. I don't. My kids call it vegetarables. Um, <laughs> we eat lots of vegetarables. Right. This morning, I or last night for dinner, I said, "Hey, pass me the vegetarables." And they, the kids go, "See, even Dad calls them vegetarables." So. It's, it's just like our innovation and in, in the usage of our land for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors, and then God's creativity mashing with that. It's just, it's just cool. It's a, it's a cool thing that we get to be a part of. Mm. So that's good. As we think about benefiting, um, the kingdom and God's people, as we do this, then the things around us flourish as well. That you know, absolutely. That the the world uh, is is a better place when it is a world under God's rule, and yeah. that's what we're trying to call people to. That that we are saying here, we say this all the time here at Christ the Lord. That you know, strong men make strong families, strong families make strong churches, and then those strong churches transform communities. Yep. And we desire to see the Huffman community, Dayton, Ohio, Ohio the nation to the ends of the nations around the world um, to see them flourish under the king's rulership um, and to see the beauty that comes from that. And if I could tie this idea of charity um, back up to what I was saying about justice, saying that the, the woke social justice movement doesn't help anybody, but this idea of charity as well, that citizens um, in God's kingdom have a responsibility to help those in need and to contribute to um, charitable causes to alleviate the suffering of others. Um, and to do that though, in a biblical way. So Jesus came, he did, he came, uh, 
Peter says this when he's preaching in Acts. He, he went about doing good and preaching the kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. um, and he went about um, uh, calling out demons, so on and so forth. So that's the, that's the primary work is to, to preach the gospel. Um, but as we do that, then trans, uh, some communities are transformed. I did this, um, I did this Dayton cleanup day last Saturday with uh, Judah. I took him with me. Um, me and him and my father-in-law went to do, uh, it started by I Love West Dayton and it was just kind of a go clean up your neighborhood kind of a thing. And I was over in, uh, on East Third Street where in the past I've done a lot of work with addicts and so on. And there was a lot of trash. Um, we picked up a lot of trash. <laughs> and Judah asked me halfway through, he's like, Dad, why is there so much trash in these people's yards? Uh, and I said, buddy, it's because uh, because this is a, a very poor community and um, folks have not learned responsibility here. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to do here is we're trying to help them out a little bit. Um, and then we need to help to teach them to, uh, to clean up their neighborhoods and to take responsibility for themselves and their families so that their community will continue to flourish instead of being um, like the city dump. Yeah. What's difficult about that kind of stuff, though, is if we, if we don't teach people responsibility and teach them responsibility by bringing them under the lordship of Jesus and yeah. saying, look, this, this is how a life flourishes. Strong fathers, strong husbands, right? Kids who are being taught by their families, so on and so forth then we're going to continue to perpetuate this, this, these, um, these cycles that we're in. And so it's people who are accidentally, I, I don't think that they do it with intentional malice, even though that's in what ends up happening. It's accidental hostility against yourself and your community. Yes, exactly. That's a good, that's a good way to put it. And often what we try to do though, in our efforts to help alleviate the sufferings of others, like in the community and so on, and what like the church is doing with this social justice push is to simply stick band-aids on stuff that are a mm -hmm. much deeper problem. So, so some people, you you know, the, you know the phrase of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You do have to give some people boots, but in the, at the same time, you got to teach them then how to pull up their own boots, so that then they can go help somebody else pull up their boots. Mm -hmm. uh, in Ephesians four, Paul says, "Let the thief who uh, who used to steal steal no longer." Let him though labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share um, with anyone who has needs. So not just for himself, but for others. And that's what we're trying to get people to do, right? Is stop being a thief. Go work hard. Uh, be responsible. Take care of yourself and help others in the, in the mm -hmm. meantime. So that's what we're called to do as we seek to alleviate the, the, um, the burdens of others in that way. And to tell people that, man, the rulership of Christ is good mm -hmm. it's so good this is the good life as rusty usually likes to say <laughs> this is the good life mm -hmm. right so come on over this is the good life yeah our king is good she yes. is yep so if i could close with the challenge as we wrap these all up first of all if you take each of these and you go talk to anybody in your life who's not a believer they're gonna say yes to all these things mm -hmm. by title not your definition but by title uh, and even the definition maybe that I read, they'll, they'll agree with. But then you ask them, why is that? And they're not going to be able to tell you. They're not going to tell you why you should be charitable. They're not going to be able to tell you why you should innovate, why you should be loyal. They're not going to have a why for these things. And we've tried to give you the whys for a lot of these as we walk through them. Mm. I recognize that, again, this comes down to loyalty and obedience and actually walking it out. So yeah. I, if I could yeah. challenge you with this before we leave, it would be in First Corinthians 3. I've been using this a lot lately. It's talking about 
the building of God's building. And, and this is who's Apollo, who is Paul. It's God who gives the growth. But he says this challenge, right? Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than what is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Please recognize that the no love obey piece is, is, is what we're what we're about, what we're pushing, what we want to encourage you to be. If you have a king, he is good. Go love him, go serve him, go obey him. Mm-hmm. That's all we've got for you guys this week. We'll continue into membership 2.0 in the coming weeks with different topics. But as far as our name's concerned, Christ the Lord, He is our King. He is good. We are His people. We want to encourage you guys to go know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all. And we'll see you next week.